Hey, this is Tom Atona, Bullet Club Original, OG, Triple, Triple, O, Freaking G, New Japan Pro Wrestling Athlete, and you're listening to Wrestle In. Hello, everyone. This is Adam from Wrestle In, and joining me today for this very special interview uh, is someone who has done it all in the world of professional wrestling as a wrestler, trainer, commentator, promoter, magazine editor, t-shirt designer, and has also done lots of work behind the scenes. He's the person behind the Brian Pillman Memorial Shows, and someone who I will always associate with my hometown promotion, the HWA. Uh, that would be Les Thatcher. Les, thank you for taking the time to chat with me today. I really appreciate it. Not a problem. I always look forward to talking with you. Um, so, Les, one of the things I did want to talk to you about today was the HWA and the Brian Pillman Shows. Uh, but before we get there, um, you've been in wrestling for over 60 years uh, at this point and pretty much done everything, as I mentioned in my intro. Um, so for those who may not be familiar with your career, can you give a brief summary prior to uh, starting up HWA in the 1990s? Oh, sure. Well, I, as you mentioned, I, I am a Cincinnati boy, and uh, I actually look forward to trying you know, to be a professional wrestler. Um, excuse me, uh, probably around 10 years old. And, uh, of course, back then, it was a closed shop. And uh, so I did some amateur wrestling around Cincinnati, the YMCA's. There was uh, no amateur program in the high schools at that point. And, uh, you know, continued trying to find some place to break into the business. And uh, I was a dead end, and, you know, as far as talking to promotion there and so forth and so on. Uh, and then I opened a, a wrestling review magazine one day and saw that Tony Santos in Boston, Massachusetts was training young athletes who had uh, an eye on career in professional wrestling. So I sent him a letter and uh, got a trifold back, which I've hung on to all these years. And um, <clears throat> anyway, that was my contact. And so in February of 1960, I was 19 years old. I got on a Greyhound bus and went to Boston, Massachusetts and started my training there in February of 1960. I had my first professional match July the 4th, 1960. So this July 4th will be my 61st, 61st anniversary. And uh, so anyway, uh, long story short to catch you up, uh, I had 20-year in-ring career, 1960 to 1980. Uh, uh, and in 1970, actually, by chance, I got in, um, <clears throat> filled in uh, for a commentator that had to leave uh, town um, in the Maritime Provinces in eastern Canada in 1970, working for promoter Rudy Kay. And so that was the start of my broadcasting career. Uh, once coming back to the States, I, I did some more broadcasting with uh, the Crockett promotion, uh, Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling. Also got uh, started messing around with magazines there. 1972, uh, had the idea for T-shirts and uh, the Briscoe Booster, uh, Jack and Jerry Briscoe uh, T-shirt artwork by Jerry Lawler was the first T-shirt on the market in professional wrestling. And... Uh, did magazines for WWWF, that was Vince Jr. before his, well, his dad was actually still running uh, the main company. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, and so anyway, uh, did uh, broadcasting with Atlanta um, and uh, Knoxville and worked Puerto Rico for uh, Cologne as the uh, 
Nation. I uh, worked in, you know, different things, broadcasting, and the magazines we talked about. Got involved in training in, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, 1992, and uh, actually started HWA two years uh, two years later, and then uh, became a uh, developmental uh, territory for WCW in late 98, early 99. Mm-hmm. Uh, then when they, uh, Vince bought them out with WWF and uh, until 2001, and uh, sold HWA in 2002. Uh, I got into uh, just freelance uh, <clears throat> training. Started elite pro wrestling training with Harley Race and Ricky Steamboat uh, that in 2003. And we, st- I guess, we were the first guys that did uh, multiple trainer uh, big camps, th- two and three day camps, mm-hmm. s- starting back then, and on and on and on and on, Rock. <laughs> So, you know, kind of one of my follow-ups to that, you know, one of the things I do want to talk about, like I mentioned, is a lot of HWA uh, and the Brian Pillman shows. But kind of uh, what led you to starting up HWA and uh, the main event pro wrestling camp in Cincinnati? Well, actually, I fell into being a, well, I fell into a lot of things in the business, you know, just by chance. But the training thing, I had moved home uh, and I came in off the road, uh, left here in Knoxville where I'm living currently. In 1985, came home to help my mom and um, <clears throat> got involved in, in competitive bodybuilding myself and training bodybuilders and um, was involved in doing that. And then I was called, given a call one day by Bob Harmon, who was the original beautiful Bobby before Bobby Eaton. Uh, and as a Cincinnati boy as well, okay. started in the business a few years after me. Anyway, Bob called me and said this guy had a, a uh, school for professional wrestlers, but he had an idiot, and that was Bob's uh, <laughs> expression, as a trainer. And if he didn't get somebody better and more knowledgeable, um, <clears throat> they'd probably lose what he had. And I said, well, why are you telling me this? And he said, well, you're that guy. And I said, you're crazy. Because I had, you know, it never caught. I, I find out later that I guess I have done some training over the years. Jim Dillon uh, credits me with, you know, uh, teaching him quite a bit, as does Scott Casey and a couple other guys over the years. But anyway, uh, so he finally convinced me to go take a look at a show these guys were putting on on the west side of Cincinnati over, I forget where it was exactly right now. But it was my first experience with an independent show and I oh at the time I was also doing Smoky Mountain okay wrestling as well for for Jimmy and um it's my first experience of seeing an independent wrestling show and I thought oh my god my business has come to this I was I was blown away horrified would be a good word I guess but anyway in the course of watching this um I saw this one kid uh go out of the ring and grab a chair and I could tell the way he was uh, handling it, they didn't know what to do with it. And anyway, long story short, he ended up cold cocking his, his opponent and my, it didn't knock him out, but rang his bell enough that one of the other kids had to go out and help him out of the ring. He was walking around in circles. Anyway, so I lean over to Bob, uh, Bob Harmon and, uh, the promoter was on the other side of Bob and I said, my God, that kid doesn't know, you know, has no clue with that chair. How long has he been wrestling? Bob leans over to the guy that owned the school and Lee comes back to me and said, 
He's like been to four practices tonight. Jesus Christ. He, even, he doesn't have any business being in a match, never mind swinging a chair at somebody. So that kind of decided that I would try the training thing. So I trained for this guy uh, for a while. And he was a con man, to be quite honest with you. But that's where the Northern Wrestling Federation originated. And Roger Ruffin came in. Uh, when I tried to get a couple little shows in-house, had Roger come in to referee A because uh, <clears throat> I'd known him since he was nine years old, my guy, when he was actually coming around the matches with Les Ruffin. And, uh, yeah. And so, um, anyway, the owner of the place and I had our disagreements. And it, uh, so, anyway, I... Well, I left, and with another guy, we started HWA. <clears throat> started the school, actually. It was going to be, you know, the Les Trattors main event pro wrestling camp. And actually, the HWA was the offshoot because we needed, you know, we had to promote because these guys, whoever you train was going to need, you know, some place to, to, to try what they were learning. Mm -hmm. And to be honest with you, uh, of all the things I've done in the business, promotion is my least favorite, which doesn't mean I don't enjoy it or don't put my heart into it. It's just my least favorite. So anyway, but that's how it all began, was basically getting uh, getting away from uh, what was, you know, it's the NWF. Roger, it's Roger's company now, as a matter of fact. It hasn't been for years. But uh, anyway, that's how it all started. Okay. Yeah, and I just saw actually the other day that the NWF is still, uh, they just started running shows again in uh, Covington at the yeah. uh, baseball training center out there. I haven't had a chance to go check out one of their shows yet, but hopefully I'll be able to soon. Um, so I received the Brian Pillman Memorial Show DVD the other day, and I was watching it, and I think it's just absolutely fantastic. Um, it's so good to see that these old shows are, see these old shows again, and then, you know, these were actually something I was afraid that were going to get lost to history. How did that project with you and Joe Dombrowski come together with you putting together, um, you know, getting these shows compiled? Well, actually, Joe and I had, uh, Joe was just getting his feet wet as a play-by-play -play guy a number of years ago, and it was sending out, uh, picked some people to send out, uh, you know, a link or a tape to and get them critique, and I happened to be one of those guys. And I liked what I heard because uh, one of the things I find consistent and not not good uh at a lot of independence uh is the guys doing play by play won't think they're bobby heenan or jerry lawler and actually they're neither and nor should they try to be they actually be putting the matches over and that's what joe was doing so anyway and we had hit it off and with a friendship so <clears throat> as i was getting ready to move down here in uh the spring of 2019 um, I was cleaning, going, going through the house and going through this and that. So finally I came across a bunch of stuff. And uh, Joe and I had talked about it. He said, well, can I look through it? And I said, sure, because it was just tapes and, and discs and, and so forth that I collected over the years. So, so he came and got a bunch of it. And so we started looking at it. And first, actually, before the whole Pillman thing, was uh, H, um, Wrestling in the Heartland, the, the Lost Developmental territory it's hwa volume one and that's uh, a bunch of hwa shows you know house shows and uh joe and i do uh the voiceovers there and i 
kind of tell us some of the inside stuff. He's doing more of the play-by-play, and there's a volume one and a volume two. And it's got uh, well, a lot of guys before they were, you know, stars. Uh, Cena, uh, Nigel McGinnis, you know, people like that, yeah. plus some, some major players in, in the, uh, the business anyway. But uh, So that's how it started. And he found, I, you know, all these film and shows who, which were, except for some bootlegs that, you know, got knocked out there over the years, uh, that never seen the light of day. And, <clears throat> excuse me, so we got to talking about it, and I said, well, and, and they want it because I don't have that kind of, you know, I can't release them. Mm-hmm. It comes back to the Pillman family. So, of course, Brian Jr., I had met Brian Jr. right after he came out of Lance's school because, you know, lived just across the river with his aunt, uh, Linda. And, um, well, I'd known him, obviously, you know, since he was you know, a child, and we used to were doing these shows. But, um, so Joe had finally got a chance to meet Junior, and they got talking about it and worked out those particular details. So, uh, you know, we put this whole thing together. And, of course, unless you were at those shows, it's all fresh. It's all brand new, basically, except now the uh, uh, Benoit Regal match from 2000. Obviously, it was on the best of Benoit. Of course, that's off the market now, but right. that's, that match is still out on the uh, on YouTube somewhere. But, uh, so anyway, yeah, uh, it came down to us doing this. And the crazy thing is, you know, running those shows, you're not actually sitting down and enjoying <laughs> the evening. You're, you're, you know, your concessions, merchandise, dressing room here, there, the other place. And so as we're doing the voiceovers, and this, we're doing this the same way I mentioned the HWA, mm-hmm. is I'm more or less telling the behind the scenes and how this match came about and so forth and so on. And Joe's doing more of the play-by-play. But well, as you know, you've, you've watched part of it anyway. Right. And um, so I was seeing some of these matches for the first time myself. Damn, mm-hmm. that's a good match. That's really cool, <laughs> right? But uh, anyway, you know... The, the whole thing, I, I had no idea how it was going to take off. But, you know, someone had said in a review on this that it had taken on a mystical, uh, you know, uh, story behind yeah. the Pillman shows. Or, and, I, and I guess it had no way because, you know, something special happened every damn I mean, if you were, you know, for us, anyway, of course, uh, one of the, the big thing, the Benoit Regal matches, mm-hmm. hell, I use it, Dr. Tom uh, uses it, the bunch guys use it as a, a coaches as a training tool. Uh, but there's always something special about those shows. And naturally, the big thing is that the only place in the world you could see ECW, WCW, WWF slash, you know, WWR, W. WWE mm-hmm. would have been at a Pillman show. They didn't wrestle each other, but that was how they all became under one roof on the same night. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it was some. It became something special from something that was supposed to be a one-time deal and just a little thing we were doing to honor Brian. Right, and I would see. I was actually at the uh, the 2000 Pillman show. I think I mentioned this uh, when I emailed you to you know request this interview i was actually at the pillman 2000 show and i remember that benoit regal match and i was and i saw that match i just i was just floored at how good it was and i was actually also uh on the floor kind of meandering around the crowd uh during the just incredible and raven match 
Um, and they just fought, they fought right next to me. So I might be on the tape. I'm not sure. <laughs> I haven't quite got to that one yet. Um, uh, uh, now, you, now you're going to hit me up for your residuals, right? No, 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 no. <laughs> so, you know, I do want to ask you about the Benoit-Regal uh, match. Do you think that match holds up today and has stood the test of time? You are damn right, my friend. That match will hold up 50 years from now. If you're talking about professional wrestling, right. if you're talking about a clown show or an acrobatic <laughs> exhibition, no, it won't. But yes, damn right. It is it is two athletes in competition, and uh, that's as simple and, and as complex at the same time as, as it can get because you don't see a lot of two athletes in competition today. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you see some wrestling, um, but not as much as you should. Yeah, I, I absolutely think it would hold up. Well, if you were there, then you must, you know, Tom Pritchard and I, when we... Um, We've done a lot of camps together, but we also we both say that when we're showing this, it kind of the the goosebumps come back to us because yeah. you had to feel there, be there to feel how that building was, the crowd was building, and and you were, yeah. and, and you, I don't know if you knew this or not, but really, some of the uh, the guys, the, the talent uh, downstairs in the dressing rooms could hear. Well, I started back by the sound people. By the, you know, where the sound guys were uh, doing the audio, kneeling down in front of their table. And I could feel this thing. I knew what was going to happen. I knew where they were going. I knew I could feel the crowd, too. Been doing this too long not to. And I wanted to be a part of it. Of course, can't be in a match. But right. if it's your promotion, you can go any damn place you want. And as you know, I ended up at ringside. I mean, kneeling down by the ring. And I mean, because I knew this was going to pop at the boys downstairs were coming up, and, and a couple of the guys told me that they're over there by the dressing room door pushing and shoving each other to get a better look. Really? Yeah. God. If you're entertaining the boys, you're entertaining the people. But, yeah, it, it was it's a great match. Well, you got, listen, you've got two damn great athletes. Exactly. It's, uh, you, know, you know, a lot of people, some people before the show, well, when they started to see, the, we started to put the card together, mm-hmm. asked me, why are you doing Regal and Benoit? I said, bring pencil and paper, you're going to school. <laughs> and they did. Yeah, yeah, no, that, and that is, uh, you know, no doubt about that, actually. And then you also mentioned that, you know, the Pillman shows, they featured WWF, WCW, and ECW talent. Uh, was it hard to get talent from the three major organizations involved? Well, you know, let me, let, let's, let's start back at the beginning, obviously. When, when we, I just came up with the idea to do a little, operative word here, little, mm-hmm. uh, show to honor Brian Pillman and his death. So we checked in with Norwood High School, and they were willing to let us use their junior high school gym where, uh, you know, Brian went to school, played ball. And uh, <clears throat> so... We, you know, we just started kind of putting it together. And obviously, there's a lot more independent guys on that first show. But anyway, we ended up getting Benoit and Jericho for the, uh, you know, for one match. And then, uh, obviously, Austin was coming because he had been Brian's partner. Uh, they weren't letting him wrestle because he was such a hot property at the time, but that was cool. Yeah. And Sonny, right? So I was talking to Dave Meltzer, and uh, he said, you know, 
if you had somebody of ECW, you'd, you'd have the big three. It hadn't crossed my mind necessarily at that time. Like I say, it was just, it was a little show, right? right. So I, I didn't know, I had, at that time, point, I had not met Paulie. Uh, but of course, Candido and I had a relationship from Smoky Mountains. So I got in touch with Chris. And he got in touch with Paul, mm-hmm. and Al Snow was over there instead of WWF at the time, and and just lived up a couple hundred miles up the road from Cincinnati, and so we ended up with uh, Chris and Al uh, as well. So we hit the trifecta, and I mean it just kind of fell into place. But no, but we did, we had no idea what this thing was going to draw. None. I mean, we turned away. Uh, over 400 people. Oh, wow. Yeah, and and the uh, demand for photos with the stars, which start with Al, Candido, Sonny, Benoit, Jericho, and Austin. And we had so many people lined up for that, is that that group of talent, after the show, uh, you know, we had to get the show on, which, you know, because we were running, with, running behind a little bit. Right. And so they stayed after the show, to finish out the, the VIP, you know, on the photos, but it started to drizzle rain before the, you know, early uh, earlier in the afternoon, and I thought, oh man, this. But we had people lined up around the building in in that drizzling rain to get into the damn place. So we put about thirteen hundred people in there that first show, and uh, like I say, we had no idea what it was going to be, and. Um, I got home, got about two hours sleep, back to start taking people to the airport, mm-hmm. finishing up. And then I sat down at my desk at the gym, and as half, half asleep as I was, and tired because, you know, my, my day had started about 5 a.m. the day before, and I got about two hours sleep the, uh, the night of the show. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I'm sitting there thinking, we did something special. I'm not sure why or how, but we did something special. Should we try to do this again? You know, can we improve it? Mm-hmm. So that's, uh, in other words, when I they did the first show, it was never an idea of a second or a third or a fourth. I mean, it just, that just happened. So it, you know, it just grew from there. And of course, then it took on, it did take on mythical proportions. I had guys, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Starting with the second one, and then on it was it was crazy. But I had independent guys from all over the country calling, offering to work for nothing. I mean, everybody did work for nothing, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, it was, it, it, oh, I'll pay my own. I'll do this. I'll do that. I, actually, I had guys offering to pay to work on the show. That's how hot it, inside the industry itself that it got. You know. Mm-hmm. And the well, you you were there. You were a, a witness at two thousand. Right. Did you did you see any wrestlers dogging it or phoning it? In? No, not at all. No, every every no, maximum. Yeah, effort. that that was the thing to me. It was so beautiful because these guys were giving up their day off to be home with their families or sleeping or drinking beer and fishing if they wanted whatever, right? And uh, we we took care of the ho- uh, hotel and fed them. Mm-hmm. And picked them up at the you know, transportation to and from the airport. Uh, these respective companies paid for the plane fare, but uh, nobody phoned it in. I mean, everybody busted their ass, and uh, 
the matches were good. There was that under, I think that little underlying competition thing between my promotion, my brand and your brand and so forth. But everybody had a great time and everybody just busted their hump to work, you know? Right. Well, you saw, you saw the, uh, Raven, uh, incredible match and Raven, uh, PJ, incredible caught hell. Because they, he got juice, if you remember. He got blood. That's right. Yeah, and, he did. Uh, and they used a table without even knowing they were going to use a table, but it wasn't set up to break. And so uh, <laughs> they took a hard bump. But anyway, the point is, uh, uh, PJ got, uh, Incredible got juice. And Paul, they, they were working some big angle where he was going to have to do that like the next night or so. And Paul really climbed on him, and PJ said, well, damn, you should have been there. Uh, Benoit, what the hell, we had to do something, you know. <laughs> but, you know, we had the, the cream of the crop, right? Am I right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Every every show, I think, had had major, you know, they had major stars on it. Or you, you had major stars on it. Benoit, and then, Rizzo, then at 2000, we had the Cincinnati Red as a guest referee. Or, uh, remember, Danny Graves uh, did the uh, D-Lo head bobbing the uh, thing to going to the ring with D-Lo. Right. Uh, so, yeah. And then the auctions. Well, you know, here's the other thing. I'll tell you the truth. To me, the ideal show runs about two and a half hours. So that's what I try to keep my, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, my HWA shows at. And over the years, that's pretty much what, you know, when I was wrestling in the ring, they wanted to keep it at. But the point I was going to say, that like that last year, the fourth year, 2000 and. 2001 mm -hmm. photos of the stars and th at this point we had a dozen stars posted for photos started at noon in the building mm -hmm. okay then the independent showcase started at five and it went till uh like f seven we took a 15 minute break and the main show which was uh, with the guys from the main three big rosters came back uh, at um, seven fifteen, and then during that period of time, we had presentations, we had auctions, we had raffles. My God, <laughs> and people stayed, you know. And, and we were never out there before eleven o'clock at night. I mean, and I don't think anybody went home early. I mean, there was something going on all the time. I, I'll tell you the truth. I was so proud of. The talent, the volunteers, the people behind us, the, the committee that helped me with that thing every year. We started, we started committee meetings eight, seven, eight months out every Monday night mm -hmm. at, at the gym, uh, you know, to get this whole thing put together. So, yeah, but it was, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm proud of, uh, of what everyone that worked and, and, and what their shows became. Yeah, it just, uh, uh, labor of love, believe me. So, do you think that in today's wrestling landscape, uh, Les, that there's the possibility to see shows like that again, where all the major companies uh, come together for a common cause? I, I doubt it. I doubt it. And I, I think that only happened uh, there because uh, Brian had transcended the three companies, actually w almost with uh, everybody thinking it was okay, right? Well, I could, he was... Supposedly wasn't under contract to WCW, right? right? And and they thought he was coming back so he could work free at you know this and, and so forth. So I, I think that's part of it too. And 
there was there was no way that WWF could say uh, Steve, especially since they'd been partners, couldn't come. And uh, you know, and then once Paulie signed off on it, I think that was part of it too. You know, and I won't say egos, but uh, well, that company's doing it. We we're going to look damn bad if we don't, right? Mm -hmm. So we got the cooperation. Uh, and, and I'm going to say this in my own on my own behalf. I feel good that the three big companies trusted me enough to take all th take their talent, mix them up. And, and not screw over somebody, right? Or give right. somebody more uh, publicity than I gave somebody else. So I feel good about that because um, they trusted me with that. Okay. So uh, in watching these, I noticed that most of these shows took place at either local high schools or college campuses. Uh, something I'm very curious about is that the 1999 show took place in the Cincinnati Gardens, a place that's you know very rich in wrestling history going back through the years, Jim Barnett, uh, for, think first promoted that in the 50s and 60s, going through you know the Sheik's territory. Actually, back in the 50s, it wasn't the Sheik's territory at the time. It was Barnett's. Right. And yeah, yeah, I bought tickets there, and then I, I wrestled there for Barnett as well. So, how is it running a show at such a historic venue? Oh, it's I, I, it was great. Well, and I'll tell you why we went there after uh, the, the first show at, at the high school, junior high school gym. And, and of course, starting then the plan almost the very the very next day, I'm thinking, okay, uh, if we can get Austin now, realize Austin was a big guy with Vince at the mm -hmm. time. Flair was the big guy with WCW, and I'm thinking if I can get the two of those guys, Cincinnati Garden will work, right? Uh, <clears throat> so. That's one of the reasons we went to the garden, and, and the people at the garden, uh, you know, joined in and, and cut us a nice deal too, and uh, and they handled the ticket sales there, um, which I'll tell you the truth, that first year, not under, not realizing what we had, you know, in front of us, we handled the ticket sales from the HWA office, and they about drove us nuts oh, really? right with that. Oh yeah, so. Shows two, three, and four were not handled from the HWA office. <laughs> that would have driven us really crazy then. But yeah, the, you know, those were all hard work. They were. I mean, uh, I'd be lying to say they weren't. But again, a labor of love. I felt so good at the end of those things and so proud of the way uh, uh, this four disc set has obviously jumped. You know, it's held. Joe is. Uh, Shipping to Europe and Asia and all over North America, and my God, I thought. But then we got to thinking about it. people have heard talk about it for how many years? Exactly. Right. And if you if you didn't go to one of the shows like you did, you haven't seen all this is fresh footage. And of course, the two thousand one show. <clears throat> I wasn't sure about this until just recently that Mike Johnson and PW Insider and and Joe got to look at. But in 2001, the first ever single match between John Cena and Randy Orton took place at Pillman 201. Really? Yes, sir. Wow. Yeah, they they hadn't named you know they hadn't been up to the main roster at that point. They had been in a tag match a couple weeks previous to that, but that night was the first time they ever had a single match. Wow. I 
because I, yeah. I've only gotten up to, I've watched 98, I've only gotten to 99, I haven't watched 2000, 2001 yet, but that's something uh, I'm definitely going to, you know, watch out for yeah. when I watch those shows. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're talking about a special thing, uh, you know, uh, Mark Curtis, uh, probably the last uh, big shows of any consequence he worked might have been Pillman 99. Really? Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, he had stomach cancer. That's right. how he passed away. Yeah. But uh, leading up to you know, he was they had, a, they had put a port in. He was feeding through a port. And so a couple of weeks, I don't know, two, three weeks maybe before, uh, 99, uh, we're at the gym, and uh, Pam, his wife, called and said, I'm taking, I want to let you know we're taking Brian to the uh, hospital. His weight's been dropping. We want them to give him, you know, some, you know, special nourishment, whatever. Mm-hmm. Get his weight back up before, uh, before you know, before he, he drops too much. He's behind her. You could see yelling, tell less. I'll be at the Pillman show. I'm working Pillman show. I'll be there. And I said, tell the old pastor to go to the hospital and get it well, you know. And I, know, I love, right. I mean, my God. He's, he named a cat after me. How could I not love him? Exactly. But, yes, he did. But anyway, so, you know, he was having trouble. And so, anyway, he had wanted to manage, uh, to manage, he had wanted to referee the main event, which was Mysterio and Conan against Benoit and Malenko. And um, I'm thinking, man, that's going to be pretty physical. Uh, so I'm going to have you referee. I didn't tell him until he got there. Mm-hmm. But I said, I had uh, Dr. Tom and Terry Taylor in what I called a Legends match. And I thought I knew they were going to work more a basic wrestling match, right? So mm-hmm. it wouldn't be as taxing physically on him. Because, he, you know, he had lost a lot of weight. He was way down. I said, but he was a tough son of a gun. Believe me. I mean, he was. He was fighting at every step of the way. So anyway. The day of the show, I'm, I'm doing ring announcing in '99, mm-hmm. and um, so he gets, you know, he referees Tom and, and uh, uh, Terry's match, and so I'm out to, to do ring announcing for the main event, and I'm waiting for the first team to come, and here comes Mark Curtis. And I thought, whoa! So he gets in the ring, and I, I walked. I said, uh, "What are you doing? I, I'm a referee." I said, "Mark, you sure you can do this?" I can do it, he said. He said, are you going to stay out here and watch the match? And I said, yeah. He said, well, if I can't make it, you throw me over your shoulder and carry me back, can't you? I said, I sure can. So we went on, and he refereed the match. Well, there you go. Yeah, I did not know that was the first or, or the, the first show, the last yeah. show that he had he had worked before he got sick. Yeah, and, and then in 2001, Malenko announced his retirement at Pillman 01. Really? Yeah. That's something I yeah. wasn't aware of either. Yeah, when you see the, that's in the extras, and when you see that, you'll see my mouth hanging open, because <laughs> I had no idea, and, you know, I, I was going to, I was going to do some, you know, something with him, you know, some little human interest thing, mm-hmm. and he, he made his announcement, and I'm standing there looking at him like, huh, <laughs> okay. So, you know, but, I, I mentioned I went to the Pillman show in 2000, but... After that, my first actual kind of real exposure to HWA was the TV that you had on Fox 45 in Dayton. Uh, during right. the time, HWA was a developmental territory for the WWF. So yes, sir. So you mentioned this earlier. You know, how did HWA become affiliated with the WWF as a developmental territory? Well, to start with, um, a lot 
lot of the people that I wrestle with or know from my wrestling career um, or career with in the territories were in management in both WWF and WCW. Mm -hmm. And in, um, initially in uh, 98, um, I was first contacted by WWF. And Bruce Richards stopped by. Yeah, Bruce had been down Louisville, down at OVW, and he came by, and we went to lunch, and they, offered, you know, made a, an offer, but we didn't have anything in contract or anything, and so uh, we were kind of we figured we're going to do business, and so he went back, and then the the wheels of corporate America, I guess, started turning, but they were turning very slow, and um, you know. One thing or another. So anyway, um, I get a phone call from Gary uh, Juster, who's in WCW, and he said, "Les, have you signed with WWF?" And I said, "No." Are, are you? I said, I haven't, "I haven't even seen a contract yet." Gary, will you? Oh my God! He said, "I think they're they're reading our mail because JJ and I were just talking about you and the same thing." So. He said, we're going to, you know, we want you to come down. So they sent me a plane ticket and had me picked up at the airport. Took, brought me down, introduced me around, sat down and said, what do you, you know, what would be ideal for you in this situation? And I told them, <clears throat> and they said, well, then let's do it. So I signed with them first. And um, that's why we moved up to the bigger facility. Mm -hmm. And um, so then obviously, you know, uh, at the time, I had no idea what their financial arrangements were. You know, I mean, I don't read their profit and loss sheets. Right. And they didn't offer them. So, I mean, I, I had no idea, that, you know, how, how quickly they would be headed south financially. You know, and, of course, they were, you know, m burning money there, from what I understand, toward the end. So they needed to start, you know, the core, whole corporate thing. Uh, getting rid of uh, some of that expense, and since I was one of the newer guys, that I got rid of. You know, um, they you know they canceled the contract. So, but then I also was able to uh, heard from Jr. and um, he knew that uh, there the deal in Memphis was not working out like it was supposed to. Okay. And he said, we've got a deadline on that. He said, just hold tight. Once we pull the plug on Memphis, we'll, you know, we're in business. So that's the way that worked. Okay. I had worked with, well, realize this. So, uh, well, I mentioned when we were talking about magazines, mm -hmm. I did a WWWF magazine for Vince back in the uh, late 70s, early 80s. I did five issues of that magazine for uh, WWF Wrestling Action Magazine. That's floating around out there somewhere, too. Um, so I had done, I've known Vince since 77 or 78, I don't remember. But anyway, mm -hmm. so I had done business with him before, and he also, he offered in 85, they flew me up um, when George Scott was the booker. George and I had worked extensively together okay. in television promos and that sort of thing with Crockett. And uh, anyway, they brought me up, um, and they offered me a real nice position there with uh, WWWF in 85, yeah, to handle all the promos. At, at the time,
in the in the arenas and under you know under the grandstands obviously in the bowels of the arena and that's where they did a lot of the promos so anyway yeah well George Scott and I say had worked together like that extensively in Charlotte so and, and Vince and I had worked together on the magazine so yeah they made me a real good offer it's just that I wasn't in a position at that point a to live in Stanford because my dad hadn't passed away too too long before that and I wasn't about, you know, while I was here in Knoxville at the time, I was four hours from my mom. Stanford would have been crazy. And then those guys were on the road up there, sometimes 10 days at a stretch, right? right. And so uh, anyway, and, and uh, plus I had another commitment at the time. I was doing, uh, trying to help put together a weekly television magazine, uh, which I would have, which I had a piece of. So. I couldn't accept the offer, but it was, I mean, the salary was good, plus it was uh, health insurance and et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, you know, Vince and I have always, I mean, do we always agree? Well, obviously not, but I've always had a good relationship with Vince since, uh, since the 70s. And uh, so, yeah, so that was, they had offered me that then. So we worked together in the, uh, or you know, experienced each other before I ever went there as a trainer. Okay. So, you know, I noticed that, you know, watching those shows, I actually have uh, the entire run of that uh, series on uh, on tape here. Um, so watching that, you know, I noticed, like, the episodes kind of end right around late summer 2002. Is that when the, uh, is that when HWA was no longer a developmental territory for WWF? Yeah, yeah. What happened there? Yeah, that's, that's well, see, there again, there, that was about uh, stockholders. <laughs> There's the problem with being with corporations, right? <laughs> so, but no, I that was I was told, Jr. I was told when when that came down, mm-hmm. this is nothing you didn't do or nothing you did do. This is about appeasing the, uh, the stockholders. With that, at the same time, they had let uh, office workers and and the tower plus some more talent, you know, on the main roster go as well. But the whole idea, and it was working well. With uh, OVW and us just a hundred miles apart, because uh, you know I had uh, their guys could work my my shows, my guys could work their shows. That's where we did our TV, and uh, Danny uh, did the editing right out of the OV. You know he had all the equipment right there, and uh, we were all you know within in the, the system together. So and. I was the newest of the two developmental, and I think they'd let me go anyway if I wasn't because they had loaned Dan, had made a loan to Danny so he could move into a bigger and, and better facility. So they obviously had reason to keep him, you know, business-wise, right. which is cool. I mean, you know, business is business. Right. So what led you to ultimately stepping away from HWA? Uh, well, you know, I... You know, when you own a business, uh, you're never away from it, even if you are away from it. Right. And uh, it had, well, you know, had been doing it for 10 years, had, had you know, done well, and um, it was just, you know, it was a, it was a long haul. Now, at the early 2000s, I've, Harley Race and I had started doing training camps at the Colorado Alley Convention in Vegas, right? Mm-hmm. And so then Harley started doing his NOAA, week-long NOAA tryout camps in Eldon, Missouri at his school. And so he and I and Ricky Steamboat worked together there, and we just clicked. So 
we decided to do what we called super camps, like two and three day weekends for the three of us to run training camps, right? And uh, together, and in fact, we have a, there's a book out. The professional wrestlers work out in an instructional guide by sports, uh, ah, yeah, sports publications, LLC. It's, it's out of print now, but it's, it's out there on Amazon, I know. Anyway, um, so we were going to do that. So, and it started out really good. And so the wife and I are thinking, okay, you know, she has her retirement and, and I'm getting ready to start Social Security. And if we can get one or two of these camps a month. And so, mm-hmm. hey, you know, we're working less. We don't have the worry uh, about the building and the, you know, the sewer and this and that and the other thing. So, uh, and uh, so it had a decent offer. And we were able to work something out and make the transition. So uh, we decided to do that. Of course, then the economy went to hell and they had basket right. years so later. So it wasn't such a great idea after all. But it, it's it's it panned out all right. But yeah, it was. Uh, and the other thing is, I, I didn't know where was I going to go in terms of up from there. Right. You know. You can't get much better than HWA, honestly. HWA. No, I, I, I think I think during our. Uh, uh, at our peak, uh, we were at one of the top three uh, independent promotions in the country. Period. End of story. Right, and I, uh, I would it. I would agree with that wholesale, wholesale. Uh, yeah. So, kind of talking about HWA, you know, they did have several homegrown stars. Uh, one person I do want to ask about you in particular, though, is John Moxley. So, I remember seeing him in 2004 at a show at the Montgomery County Fairgrounds. Uh, where he was part of a tag team where he was a football player. I can't remember the name of the team. Yeah, I, that's what, I can't either, but yeah. Well, that's, you know, uh, I John started, well, that, that's like L.A. Knight or, or Sean Ricker. Right. Uh, is, they both started when I, and uh, Carl Anderson, when I had the company. And uh, then they, uh, well, Carl had had a concussion and left, uh, and then he didn't come back. Uh, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. Well, I mean, it wasn't ever a problem. It just, that's the way it worked out. But uh, Sean and, and John, you know, obviously they're guys who were training there. I wasn't going anywhere that they could go with me anyway. So they stayed with the company. So, um, but the, yeah, I remember the football thing. That was crazy. Uh, but, you know, I worked with him on and off. And then... Uh, I forget why you don't ask me the year uh, because I couldn't tell you if you held a gun in my head right now. But anyway, I decided to go over and help out and I was going to work with the advanced guys on Wednesday nights. Mm -hmm. And so John started showing up on Wednesday nights and then we got to talking. And when Mike Bootsy had been an agent uh, with WWE, he had told Moxley if he probably if he put some size back on they might give him a tryout but then Mike had left the company so and so John or, or anybody with you know that he was working with at the time didn't have any connections so we sat down and talked about it and I got him on a diet and we started looking at his tapes and of course he was working with me in there on Wednesdays mm-hmm. and that's uh, you know I say I, I, I helped train him but I more or less took the rough edges off to get him ready 
and and then once we got the diet worked out and he put some weight back, put some weight on, I picked up the phone and called Dr. Tom and I said, hey, that's somebody for you to look at. So that's how that all came about. Is that how he kind of got started through the independence, like, you know, CTW and all that sort of thing? Yeah, yeah. And then I worked with him too when uh, I, I did a couple of camps for CZW in Philadelphia for DJ, mm-hmm. I the owner. Uh, and John was up there then, and Sammy Callahan and Adam Cole. And uh, I worked with Cole since he was he was green as grass up there the first time we worked together. I didn't know you worked and, with Adam Cole. And Drew Gulak, yes, sir. Wow. Worked with Drew as well. I have to get you back on to talk to tell some Adam Cole stories. <laughs> I don't know any any wild stories about him. <laughs> I, I I know he's a good, hell of a good guy and and hell of a talent too. Oh yeah, he's fantastic in NXT. He's one of the one of the best people they have down there. Uh, yeah. So one of the another person I did want to ask you about is Nigel McGuinness. So my first ex- besides those TV episodes I mentioned, I remember seeing Nigel McGuinness at Middletown High School at the summer of two thousand two. Uh, and he was carrying an iron with him. We had the Union yes. Jack painted on it. So he was the you, Iron Man. The Iron right? Man. Yes, that's right. That's right. <laughs> you know what? They asked me, and it, it didn't show up on um, on his biography thing that they did in WWE. But they had asked me, you know, and I said he was the Iron Man. Well, why would you let him do that? I said, you know, I, a lot of the things I do in the business is by feel. Mm-hmm. Or by my gut, I guess you'd say, right? Right. And I just, uh, I knew how serious Nigel was, and I knew the iron wasn't going to be a stupid gimmick like about 99% of the gimmicks I see today. <laughs> and uh, I had to throw that in, I'm sorry, Ron. Oh, you're fine. <laughs> and uh, so I just let him do it, you know? No, I'm going to tell you what. Nigel, to me, I hold him up to anybody that says, well, it's inconvenient. Don't talk to me about inconvenient. The story about here's the story of Nigel McGinnis. Okay. Nigel was up at um, Kent State as an exchange student, getting in uh, his next his last year of, of college, mm-hmm. and he uh, was riding around looking for a wrestling school. And he sent me a letter, and I sent him a brochure back. And what attracted him most, he tells me, is that I had handwritten quite a bit on the brochure about, you know, yeah, you know, blah, 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 whatever. I'm not sure what I wrote, but that was one of the things because everybody else had just sent a piece of paper saying, this is what it costs or something, you know. Mm-hmm. And so he and a couple of his classmates came down and uh, looked at the school. And it's crazy, but when we got in the ring, I did, I mean, we were going to, you know, uh, I'm just going to let him get in the ring and, you know, show him a lockup and, and that sort of thing. He was... You just feel the energy coming off of him. He was in a wrestling ring, right? Right. So uh, his, his college buddies took pictures and the whole thing. So he said, I'm, I've got one more year in university back in England, and I'll be back to train with you. And, uh, of course, if, if everybody came to train with me, was going to train with me, I'd be a wealthy man and retired, living in a castle in Bermuda or some <laughs> damn place. But, but I'm not, and they're not either. So anyway, but he, you know, here he came. But here's the thing. He could only get a six-month visa. Mm-hmm. So he would come and train for six months, go back to England. I know at one point back there he was working double shifts at a restaurant. 
sleeping on a mattress on a buddy of his kitchen floor uh, and to get so to, until he could get another visa to come back wow. you know and some guys some guys think oh my god that's 20 miles from where i live you know he's crossing the atlantic ocean right. and yeah but you know and and some people ask me well, how did he you know, how did he get so good I said, he shut up and he listened. That's how he got that. And he did what he was asked to do. He was dedicated. And he is, uh, I'm so proud of him. And, and I, I promote, or I was hired to, uh, hire the, to pick out talent and, and book a year long term in Los Angeles by a promoter out there in 2012, 13. Mm-hmm. And Nigel, well, Nigel still lives out there, but, uh, anyway, he got involved and he was my assistant and we it was just such a pleasure to work with him he and i have uh, gotten together it's he's more like family honestly and i'm so proud of him i mean and as a wrestler damn if he wasn't talented i don't know who was i mean he was uh just a hell of a hell of a hand and i love him he's a hell of a gentleman and a talented uh, talented professional Right, and he's he's a fantastic announcer as well, or commentator. Uh, you know, his work on NXT UK is just—it's it, yeah. phenomenal. It really is. You know, you know, it's funny. Uh, I tease him about. It. I said, just trying to copy me step for step, right? <laughs> and uh, we worked uh, the last time that uh, Greg Price did a big Charlotte uh, NWR NWA Mid Atlantic Fan Fest. Mm-hmm. Um, Nigel, myself, Lance Storm, Tom Pritchard. Um, and Rip Rogers uh, did the tra- did a three day training camp and uh, some, some show a couple shows for that thing. And uh, he was he was uh, Jerry. He impressed Jerry Briscoe the way he handled guys' training as well. So Nidal's a hell of a talent, and 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 he has a legitimate, serious love and passion for the business. You know what everybody says that when they yeah. come to you. That, that's their stand. Oh, so that's, I love it. It's all I ever want to do till I get tired and sick and, and sore. And maybe it's not what I wanted to do. But yeah, he's hell of a talent and uh, part of my extended family as far as I'm concerned. Wonderful. That's, that's great to hear. Uh, so, Les, what do you feel is the lasting legacy of HWA? And then I'll extend those same que- that same question to the Brian Pillman Memorial shows as well. I think it should be a positive thing. I think HWA was the best, biggest, most talented independent promotion in that part of the country, and probably, like I said, probably one of the top three in the in in the country. Period. During its uh, best years, I'm very proud of it, and proud of the guys that came out of there. Uh, proud of being, you know, part of two two major corporations, developmental. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Pillman, I, I think the, the way these things are selling kind of speaks for it. I'm proud, like I said to you earlier, I'm so proud of the volunteers, of the wrestlers, of uh, everybody. You know, that was so, um, you know, it's, 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 it's sp- the shows are special. Yeah. As well, you went to one and you know how special that was. Exactly. And as you watch those discs that you have, I think you'll see that they're all pretty damn special. No, they are. They are. They're 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 so special and they're so amazing to watch. So, Les, as we start to wrap up here, there's one thing we like to ask everyone at the end of every interview we do here at WrestleIn. So, you have a table at WrestleIn. 
What meal are you eating? What are you drinking? And which two wrestlers are you bringing for company? <laughs> what am I eating and drinking? Yeah. Wow, I don't know. My, <clears throat> I, I'm not a, a, a gourmet by any stretch. Uh, wow, what am I eating? You know what? Um, I just, uh, a young, uh, well, not really, very young, but a couple that uh, are like family to me just got married, and they were down here. We had a uh, combination of steak and shrimp, so I'll, I'll go with that for a meal. Mm-hmm. And, and for me, um, I like Diet Coke. If I've got to have a, an adult beverage, it would be either Coors Light or a... Um, um, Rum and Coke or bourbon and Coke, I suppose. And who would I have with me? Yeah, who would you have for company? Well, I'd love to have my mom and dad back. How's that? That'll work. That'll work. Uh, Celeste, thank you for joining me uh, here today at WrestleIn. Um, just as a re- brief reminder to everyone, uh, you can purchase the Brian Pillman Memorial Show Anthology DVD at PillmanShow.com. You can catch Les along with Vic Sosa as part of the we- <laughs> Wrestling Weekly Show at WrestlingObserver.com. And you can also follow Les on Twitter, at Les Thatcher. Uh, before we go, Les, is there anything else that I missed that you'd like to mention? Well, you, you forgot to send me, send me money. No, I'm <laughs> teasing about that. Yeah, yeah, I, I still do some uh, seminars and weekend training camps, too. Uh, if you're interested in that, if you're listening to this and happen to be a promoter, you can reach me, lesthatcher28 at gmail.com. Be more than happy to get you that information. And uh, we were talking about the HWA, uh, the Lost Developmental Tapes, uh, Volumes 1 and 2. Those are also available at joe-dombrowski.com and prowrestlinglibrary.com. And the Pillman, if you don't get it at Pillman, uh, BrianPillmanShow.com, you get it at those other two addresses as well. But, yeah, those, those HWA, there's a lot of stars and guys, you know, Cena uh, and Nigel and a bunch of the guys who were on there before they were stars too. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Thanks for going down memory lane with me.